the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Abraham Lincoln warned that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Would you like to know what's being taught in today's classrooms? Welcome to Say What? with attorney Mark Schneider and Pastor George Roska Jr. They'll explore the issues facing children, parents, and society as a result of the public schools and the forces behind them. Say What? is the radio program of Protect Our Kids, which seeks to inform and equip concerned citizens about the looming crisis in American education. So listen in as your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Rosca Jr., unpack the issues and organizations affecting our children. And now here's your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Rosca Jr. Hello, everyone. I'm George Rosca. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 45 of Say What, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the teaching of an insidious concept known as social justice in our public schools. That's right, George. You know, we see this buzzword concept everywhere in our modern culture, but now it's being taught in our public schools through critical race theory and ethnic study curriculum. So today we thought we'd try to answer some questions, including what is social justice? What does it actually mean? And more importantly, is it biblical? Yes, and that is probably the, like you said, more importantly. Um, obviously, at Protect Our Kids, we hold to a uh, Judeo-Christian uh, biblical worldview, um, and we think that that is the worldview upon which our country was founded. Uh, you read through all of our laws and the inspiration of the authors behind those laws and everything else uh, really stems from the Judeo-Christian worldview. And so when we use these uh, terminologies like critical race theory, like social justice, we want to make sure that we analyze them through that worldview. That's right. And to see, is it even, you know, uh, able to uh, live within that worldview? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. That's the Declaration of Independence. And even the Constitution, George, was signed in the year of our Lord. Lord. So, I mean, all one needs to do to get a um, an understanding that what you said was correct, this nation was founded on a biblical worldview, was just do a cursory reading of our founding and the history. And you won't have to dig very far, and you, it, you will be shown that indeed this is true. So, this is an important topic, this whole idea of social justice. You, you can hardly uh, go but through a day without hearing this term being, being thrown around. But what exactly is it? And how is it different from critical race theory? Well, um, the, the old understanding of social justice was simply the concept that people should have equal opportunity and rights under law. 
right? <clears throat> that, you know, from a social perspective, everybody should be treated fairly and equally under the law of the land. But that's changed. <clears throat> the whole idea of social justice, the, the definition of that has changed over time. And we don't have to guess what it means to people who are running the public school system. In fact, the National Educators Association, one of the biggest unions in the country that has a tremendous influence into how our kids are educated, uh, they wrote a document uh, entitled Why Social Justice in School Matters. And they even define for us what they mean by that. Here's what they said. They said social justice is about distributing resources fairly and treating all students equitably so that they feel safe and secure physically and psychologically. It's about the fair distribution of resources and equitable treatment. Okay. Those are buzzwords. Yes, they are. Fair Just, distribution of resources. Where have I heard that before? Yes. And what does that exactly mean? Well, they even go on to define what this means. They go. The article goes on to say, principles, we're talking about school principles, must add an applicant's ethnicity to the hiring application as a way to keep track of who's applying for teaching positions. This is part of social justice. You've got to have the right ethnic makeup. Number two, take leadership in struggles against racism, especially the intersections between sexism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, class exploitation, and other forms of oppression within the school or community. It is our responsibility, they go on to say, to teach students how to look at the world critically, challenge systems of oppression and discrimination, understand how they can be agents of transformation and inspire them to take action. Basically, what the NEA is saying here to all of its, um, you know, three point something million members, teachers, they're saying, we need you to become activists in this world. Basically, George, uh, critical race theory is an instrument for achieving social justice. Mm. The NEA, you know, states this uh, emphatically in this article that they wrote, and we can see it in critical race theory curriculums. Social justice concepts are sprinkled throughout these curriculums. Social justice means being a critical race theory activist. It's right, it's right here in black and white. So social justice is basically living out the tenets of critical theory as they're applied to race, to gender, to sex, to what, whatever. Essentially, that's correct. So here's a question, George. Where did this term originally come from? Uh, did, did we invent it in the 21st century or has it been around for a while? Well, I did a little bit of a dig, little bit of digging and it, it turns out that, uh, apparently this was a term that, uh, Catholics used, um, after America started moving from an agrarian culture into, uh, more of an industrialization in the mid 1840s, 1840s, 1850s. And it's really a form of socialism. And one form of socialism is communism. And what is one of the prominent features of socialism and communism? Well, it diminishes the rights of people to have private property, mm -hmm. personal property. So 
we wanted to take a look at this. You know, it's important for people to, to understand that if, if they want to understand what American values are, all they need to do, as Dennis Prager often likes to say, is look at an American coin. Yep. It's kind of an anachronism to what we used to believe, but you can pull out an American coin and there's three things that are written there. Liberty, e pluribus unum, and in God we trust. Well, so much of what we know as social justice doesn't come from America. It comes from um, other revolutions that have happened in history, including the French French Revolution and the thinkers of the French Enlightenment, Enlightenment. And they also have a sort of condensation of what their values are. And it's not liberty e pluribus unum and in God we trust. It's liberty, egality, and fraternity. And that middle word, egality, means equity. Yes. And what what most people don't understand is that when you compare, and, and I love Oz Guinness. Oz Guinness is a, you know, thought leader when it comes to sociology and understanding how societies thrive and um, and, and why they don't. Um, and he does a, a great job of comparing the results of the American Revolution with the results of the French Revolution. The American Revolution and everything that we got in the Declaration of Independence, like we said at the beginning, and the Constitution is formed on a Judeo-Christian worldview. French Revolution is not. Egalité, fraternité, liberté, all the stuff you just mentioned, right? It, they have their own definitions of what they mean by those things. It's based on secularism. It's based it's on the secularism. rejection of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Correct. So... Let's look at that. Let's look at the last 240 years of which society has thrived better. Um, and when you look at just one simple thing, the Constitution, we've had one Constitution that's been amended a few times. They've had over 20 Constitutions that have been rewritten, scrapped, rewritten, scrapped by different generation. Why? Because with every new generation, somebody else is thinking that oh, th- this doesn't make sense to me. You know, I want to live by these kind of morals and these kind of standards. So it comes back to can you put together a set of principles that a society can live sustainably upon? And the American and the French Revolution have shown us clearly through 200 plus years of history that it is only the U.S. Constitution that is a sustainable worldview upon which you can live and thrive as a society. In fact, uh, at 240-plus years, the United States Constitution is the oldest surviving constitution in world history. Yep. Um, and it's no really wonder, it's no surprise why the, the French government has gone through so many constitutions. When you don't have uh, an anchor, mm-hmm. right, then your laws are subject to the whims of whatever society happens to declare it to be. In fact, I can't remember who said it. I think it may have been Dostoevsky. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, when you, when you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing. You believe in anything. And that applies to so many countries that have rejected the biblical worldview. Well, George, I think it's important to talk a little bit more about some biblical principles when it comes to social justice, maybe starting with this whole idea of private property. Yes. Private property, because that is such a key component of social justice. Social justice, in its essence, rejects the whole idea of private property. Everything should be equally distributed. 
what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, it's interesting. You could go, go all the way back to Genesis and discover that private property uh, was a prominent feature expressed in the scriptures. In fact, Ephron's property was transferred, remember this, deeded over to Abraham in Genesis 23. Yeah, he needed to bury his wife, Sarah, somewhere. He he did. In fact, in the next chapter, uh, Abraham put his servant in charge over everything that he owned. He owned things. Um, The Eighth Commandment in Exodus 20 says, you shall not steal, right? Well, you can't take something from... If they don't, if they don't own anything, it, it, it's a premise that you have to own something for it to be stolen. In Deuteronomy, it says, you shall not steal the property that belongs to somebody else. And this idea of personal private property is certainly carried over into the New Testament. The property owner has control over their possessions. We see this in Matthew 20 and in Acts 5. In so, fact, in fact, Ananias died. We're going to get to that. We are going to get to that. So, private property is a is a biblical um, uh, feature. Number two, we see in the scriptures that reward is always tied to stewardship. Mm-hmm. Forced equality of outcome is not a value in God's economy. That the scriptures say, "He who he who shall not work shall not eat." Yep. And we have the famous parable of the talents in Luke 19 that shows that God expects us to work and to be faithful stewards of whatever we've been given in this life. Now, some are given more and some are given less. So are you saying, Mark, that God does not equitably equitably distribute his resources of blessings and gifts and talents to people? God is evil. I'm, uh, many people make that charge, uh, to which I would answer, uh, who are you to question God? Yes. Uh, God is God. We are creatures. Uh, he is infinite. We are finite. And in his uh, glorious wisdom, he decides which talents um, or lack thereof to give to certain people. But that is his decision. Um Nevertheless, whatever talents he has given us, we are personally responsible to make the best use of. Now, some will go on to accumulate lots of personal property in this life. So be it. And that comes with its own problems, some less. But whatever he has given us, um, we, we are responsible to use wisely. In fact, in Luke nineteen twenty three, Jesus says, why then, talking to one of the people who got certain talents, when he came to give an accounting for what he did with those talents, he buried it. He was afraid of his master, was a hard master, and um, he said, so I buried it. Here's what you gave me. The response was, why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has Ten minus. So here we see this principle again. Reward is tied to stewardship. The more responsible we are with the things that God gives us, the more we get, yeah. the more we advance. So number one, private property is a biblical principle. Number two, reward is tied to stewardship. Number three, George, 
justice and the rule of law are to be applied impartially. There you go. That is a key word there, impartially, because equity in its definition under social justice is anything but impartial. Everybody gets an equal share. It doesn't matter how lazy or yep. how ambitious you are. Every Everybody gets uh, th- th- basically the same thing. But this is what the scriptures say. This is Deuteronomy 16. You shall not distort justice. You shall be partial. You, you shall not be partial. In Exodus 23, it says, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. So the Lord is pretty emphatic about that. Just because a person is rich or a person is poor, justice is to be applied impartially. Mm-hmm. In fact, he says in Proverbs 20, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Pretty strong words. Yep. So, Mark, this all comes then to the question of, well, does the Bible really support socialism? Some people make this charge, George, and they make it based on this um, incident that happened in in the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. where it's true that for a while there in the first century church, people had all things in common. In fact, uh, we're seeing, if we read the scriptures in that story, that they sold their possessions, And they distributed the income from those possessions so that no one, the scriptures say, was without need or or want. And so people take that story and they derive a principle from it that, yes, we need to sell everything. We need to equally distribute because we need to have – everybody has to have all things in common. But there's a problem with this, George. Several problems, actually. First of all, this is the only place in scripture – where we see this economic structure. You will not find it anyplace else. That's number one. Number two, the redistribution here was completely consensual. There was no government power. Mm -hmm. There was no overriding law that was telling people, you must do this. We are going to take your, your property by force and distribute it. No, this was a voluntary decision made by the people in the early church to do this for that time and place. And and we don't see it continuing anywhere else. No. No, that that this is the the only example. And you brought this up earlier George. What about Ananias and Sapphira? What happened in that story? Well, Acts chapter 5 lays it out. Uh, at the end of Acts chapter 4, we have uh, a brother who's decided to sell his property, give the proceeds to the church. And so Ananias thought, "Hey, you know, this brother's being looked favorably upon or just esteemed, maybe. And he's like, let me do the same, but uh, I still want to keep some of the proceeds, but I'm going to tell them that I actually am giving it all. And when he came to Peter and he laid it at the apostles' feet, the Holy Spirit warned Peter, and Peter said, Ananias, are, are you sure? This is all, this is what you did. Uh, and sure enough, he had a heart attack right there and he died as a God's punishment on him. And then the same thing happened to his wife as they were questioning her uh, independently of, of her husband who was already buried. And she lied as well that that was the entire amount that they had sold the property for. Uh, and so um, Peter said, hey, it wasn't that you're lying to us. You are lying to the Holy Spirit. 
And that was why punishment was uh, deemed out on both of them, not because they held their property back. Yep. In fact, Peter even said, while the property was in your in your control, it was yours to decide what to do with it. You yes. were not forced to give it to anybody. Rather, your punishment is because you're lying to the Holy Spirit. That yeah. was why they, they were punished. So, George... Uh, the bottom line here, it's a mistake to build a principle around a single passage of Scripture like we have in, mm-hmm. in Acts uh, chapter 4. Um, and there are lots of problems besides with the forced redistribution of wealth, which is what social justice would have. Number one, it's coercive. It goes against the biblical commandment, do not steal. It also goes against the tenth commandment, do not covet. Yes. Why do people want what they don't have? It's because of a desire to, to have something that you haven't earned yourself or you don't have the talents to, to acquire. Whatever it happens to be, it's an evil desire in, in the scriptures, uh, in the scriptures view. And, and we see this especially in the rioting and in politicians justifying people stealing from the stores that they're looting. Um, and in fact, I was talking the other day, Mark, with somebody that, been living in San Francisco and working there for a long time. And he was like, George, the, the rioting and the looting is actually worse yeah. than what is shown on the media. Um, so th- this becomes, uh, you know, a, a problem of, you know, values that you hold to that then quickly people latch on. And now here's the end result. That's right. Uh, even Aristotle, the famous Greek philosopher, said, if you penalize something, you get less of it. If you reward something, you get more of it. Uh, social justice represses people's motive to work hard and to pursue excellence. Why should I why should I work hard if uh, the government's just going to, de- you know, decree that I'm I'm going to be redistributed wealth from somebody else's hard work? Well, if if you know that's going to happen, why should you work hard to begin with? This is why everywhere we've seen socialism causes problems in society. It causes poverty. In fact, the economist Thomas Sowell says, socialism in general has a record of failure so blatant that only an intellectual could ignore or evade it. Socialism fails because it is utopian in philosophy, denies human nature, and robs enterprising people and organizations the fruits of their labor. Winston Churchill went on to say, the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings, but the inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries, George. <laughs> what, a, what a quote. That's a powerful quote. So I, live that. the conclusion here is that What we need isn't social justice, a principle found nowhere in Scripture, but rather justice, simple justice, a principle that is everywhere found in Scripture. That's right, Mark. I think our society is so enamored with new concepts and saying things, you know, in such a brilliant way. But you know what? The word justice is good enough on its own. It doesn't need a qualifier. Um, so parents, uh, if you're listening, uh, one of the things that we would like to encourage you, and we probably haven't said this on any of our other podcasts, but please talk to your children about these things. It's our responsibility as parents to, to talk to our children. And, you know, one idea that I've shared with parents, what I do, um, is I'll actually go on. Um, there's a YouTube channel called What Would You Say? 
that's put on by the Colson Center. And, you know, every other day I play one of their videos, you know, age-appropriate videos for my, you know, different children. I have different ages. And I'll play it with one of them. And it's five minutes, six minutes long. And then we'll talk about it. And so it, it's a very good way to engage your child to see what they've understood you know, about the particular topic at hand. They have plenty of videos on social justice and it, it allows you to hear from your child. What, what are they understanding? How have they been influenced maybe by the things their teachers are saying at school? Uh, and then how you can course correct that and then help them know how to question in front of the class, the things that they are being taught just to put really nice, simple questions there that will quickly crumble the narrative that is really being thrown out there. And, uh, you know, I had a teacher uh, give me a note here, and he, he says, teachers are being taught to be agents of change. This is the phrase, agents of change. So parents, if you think that the amount of time that you are spending with your child is uh, is good enough, just think about how many hours a day their teachers are spending with them. How do you counteract that? that agents of change that the teachers are being taught to be. So uh, please, parents, uh, get super, super engaged in the upbringing of your children. If you need any more information, please go on to our website at protectourkidsnow.org, and you'll find a lot of valuable information there. So thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to Say What, the radio ministry of Protect Our Kids, where they seek to inform and equip concerned citizens about the crisis in American public education and the forces working against our children. Join us at this same time every Saturday as attorney Mark Schneider and Pastor George Roska Jr. unpack the issues so that we can better safeguard our nation's children. For more information about this program or Protect Our Kids, email the show at info at protectourkidsshow.org. That's info at protectourkidsshow.org. And join Mark and George right here next week at this same time for another episode of Say What. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 